So he's been writing uh, for weeks now, maybe even months. We're not really sure how long it's been. I don't know if you've ever, however, if you've ever um, tried to have, you've had so much to say, right? You're telling someone a story or you're trying to write it down that you cannot talk fast enough to get out all the details of the things that you're excited to share. Have you, has that ever happened to you? Like, let alone when you're trying to like, pass along a story or something. But if you're trying to write it down, like, people still write sometimes, I know, these days, right? Like, as, fa as, as, as fast as their words are just coming into your heart, into your mind, flooding your memory, like, you're just, like, furiously trying to write down the words as, as, far, as quickly as your ink can get on paper. Have you ever had that experience? You're just so excited to tell it that you can't talk fast enough. Well, Peter is there. Right? And Peter is, is sometimes, you know, um, excitedly like pacing. I imagine he's pacing back and forth while he's talking because he's sharing probably what were most, the three most life altering years of his life. And at times he's pacing and talking, and at times he's probably sitting down across from Mark because what Mark is doing is Mark is recording Peter tell the stories of Peter's eyewitness testimony of following Jesus. Now, as Mark writes it down in his book called Mark in the New Testament, he's actually quite brief, all right? Mark doesn't, as he tells the narrative of Jesus's life, Mark doesn't so much detail out all of the things that Jesus said as much as he details out all of the things Jesus did, okay? Jesus did, and Mark does this because he's looking for his readers not to gather information about Jesus, but to be transformed by him. And so we read through Mark, not for information, but for transformation. And Mark wants his readers to understand really one thing. Who is Jesus really? And how you should respond to that. Who is Jesus really? And how you and I should respond to that. All right, so Mark's going to share with us in chapter 11 today this, and this is what we're going to really hone in on, and that is that Jesus comes to save. Jesus comes to save. Now, you've heard that before, no doubt, all right? You've seen it on a sign somewhere before, all right? But I want to show you in Mark chapter 11 what Mark says what that actually means, okay? What did Jesus intend? And Mark's going to dig into that in chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles with you, or if you bring it up on a Bible app, we also have free Bibles for you out at the hub, all right? So grab one on your way out, because we want you to grab that. But turn with me to Mark chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1, okay? It's a good place to start. Here we go. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent, it's a couple miles outside of Jerusalem, right? Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street tied at a doorway. They untied it, and someone, some people standing there said, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, 
they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. As Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple, he looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went back out to Bethany with the twelve. Okay. This is a uh, bit of an odd scene, all right? And the first thing I want you to see that Mark says about this Jesus comes to save, what, 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 what's Jesus trying to say that means here is this. This is the first thing that we're going to look at today. Jesus isn't about enthusiasm. He's about commitment. Jesus isn't about enthusiasm. He's about commitment. Now, Mark opens with this odd scene. Jesus tells his disciples, go into town. You're going to find this young donkey colt tied to a doorpost. People are going to wonder why you're trying to steal it. Just tell them that, the, that I need it, and you bring it back. And so they go, and they find it, just as Jesus said. In fact, it, that whole encounter with taking this colt is so detailed that we're, we're guessing that Peter was one of the two that Jesus sent in, because only an eyewitness testimony would have that much detail to say, and Mark, make sure you capture this, because it's exactly how it happened. All right, so he's writing it down, and then Peter was there, one of the guys taking the donkey, Okay. So Jesus sits on this donkey and he rides into Jerusalem, right into the city, all right? Now, this is significant because Jesus is intentionally eliciting and sending these overtones to the crowd gathered outside of Jerusalem gates that day as he's walking into, or riding into town rather, all right? Jesus is sending some very clear overtones about his identity, about who he is. All right? There's a prophet named Zechariah who wrote hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And Zechariah says this in chapter 9, verse 9. Listen, hundreds of years before Jesus is born, this is what he says. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So what is Jesus doing? I mean, Jesus knows the Old Testament. I mean, he wrote it, let's be honest. But, okay, he knows it, okay? And he knows Zechariah's words. So Jesus is doing something very purposeful here, okay? So he's, he's going, he's sitting on this donkey, and his actions, so because he wants the people, people lining the streets, outside the gates into Jerusalem, he wants them to see something that, that rings a familiar sound to them. He wants them to see something that say, wait a minute, we know this scene, we've read about it somewhere. Do you understand? That's what he wants to do, okay? So, so it looks like Jesus is saying that he's some sort of Messiah savior figure, okay? It looks like Jesus is saying, I'm the one who has been sent from God to purify Israel, to kick out the Roman occupiers, and to set Israel free. What he's doing, riding in on that donkey, it looks very kingly, all right? And it seems to come right off the pages of Zechariah, all right? Right off the pages. So Jesus is also hinting at, hey, I'm the king who's going to reestablish your relationship with God. 
and set Israel free and set the whole world free. And so the people watching this, okay, don't, don't misunderstand. There's all of these things flooding in their head. Oh, is he Messiah? Is he king? Is he the one? Has he finally arrived? All right, that's what they're seeing. Now, the people lining the streets respond. And, and, and Mark outlines exactly word for word how they respond to what's happening. They're chanting these celebratory phrases. Now, let me tell you what's going on here because this is not abnormal. This happened a lot. Jesus is walking into Jerusalem at the annual Passover celebration, all right, where millions of Jews from all over the Mediterranean world would travel to Jerusalem for worship and celebrate the Passover, celebrating the time that God led the people out of Egypt, which we just sang about. Now, the, what was common is people would shout and chant um, psalms, all right, psalms and songs from the Old Testament. So in, in Psalm chapter 118, that people are shouting these phrases, all right, expressing praise and thanksgiving and, and petitions to God. It happened all during the week of Passover, this kind of celebratory mood. So Hosanna means, oh God, save us. God save us. This is so great. Hosanna, right? Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These are the things they're saying. Blessed is he. And what the crowd is saying by, by reciting these, these chants and these celebratory phrases is they're saying, finally, God's kingdoms come. All blessing and happiness come to us. Man, it's finally arrived. Glory be to God. We can't wait to be a part of it. And it's, it's, very, it's very profound, and it's very celebratory. These are things they've been chanting for hundreds of years. The crowd has a mixed response to Jesus. Is he Messiah? Is he king? You have mixed responses to Jesus, too. We all do. So there's, there's, somehow they're assigning some identity to him. Okay, are you seeing that? Somehow the crowd is saying, we believe that you've come from God in some way. We believe that you probably are a representative of God sent to do something good for us. See, the crowd is very enthusiastic, aren't they? Right? About a coming Messiah, a ruler, a political leader. But they didn't really realize who Jesus is. You see, enthusiasm does not equate to commitment. Enthusiasm does never equates to commitment. You see, throughout the book of Mark, Jesus was never looking for enthusiastic fans. And I need you to hear this. Jesus was never looking for enthusiastic fans. In fact, Jesus often, if you've been reading through Mark with us, we're in chapter 11 now, but, but Jesus was never looking to draw crowds of people. In fact, he often avoided them or tried to. You'll notice that when Jesus heals someone or performs a miracle, he'll often say, hey, now go on, but don't tell anybody about this. And they always did anyway. But he told them, don't tell anybody about this. Jesus was never looking to draw a crowd and wow the audience to gain an enthusiastic following. Why do you think that is? Because Jesus was never looking to build a big church. Did you know that? 
Jesus never set out to draw the biggest crowd he could possibly gather. It wasn't his, wasn't his thing. He's looking to gather for himself, and you see this in Mark. Don't miss it, please. He's looking to gather for himself a group, however large or small, of deeply committed followers. People that, after experiencing his love, would, would, would sacrifice for him. Would, would, would be so generous with their time and their belongings that would be nonsensical. Jesus is looking people, for people who would risk their love for him, who would follow him anywhere. And sometimes that's a really small crowd. See, we can be enthusiastic and celebratory about Jesus all day long and never really understand who he really is. In fact, and hear me when I say this, church, like a church service, is a really great place for enthusiastic Jesus fans to come and hang out. It's a perfect setting. Because we can stand and sing a few songs and shout our hosannas, oh God, save us. And we can walk away, and hear me, this is not bad, okay? We can walk away feeling very encouraged. Um, maybe having our beliefs that we had when we walked in the door affirmed and just kind of patted on the shoulder. Um, maybe we're challenged a little bit, and then we can walk away mostly unfazed and unchanged. It's a great place for us to kind of hide here. See, enthusiastic fans of Jesus, people who, who celebrate his name, we can spend just as much money on ourselves and hoard it away for our future as anybody else. Enthusiastic fans of Jesus, we, can, we say the same cruel things about our coworkers and think the same cruel thoughts about our enemies and the bum on the street as everybody else does. Enthusiastic fans of Jesus that, that can celebrate his name, we can, we're just as unloving, we're just as selfish. We're just as impatient. See, we spend just as much time on porn or social media as most other people who don't celebrate Jesus' name. And we just assume practice the habits of self-promotion and self-gratification rather than practice the habits that will form our hearts closer to the heart of our Heavenly Father. You see, Jesus, when he walks into, when he rides into Jerusalem that day, he accepts the accolades and the celebrations of the crowd. He does. But he isn't impressed by their enthusiasm because he's called them to so much more. Jesus comes to save. Here's the second thing that Mark points out in this narrative. Jesus isn't safe, he's disruptive. Jesus isn't safe, he's disruptive. 
Now, I told you that in a common Passover celebration, there's millions of Jews in Jerusalem at this time. And this moment of jubilation is common. In fact, in Jerusalem during the week of Passover, there would be parades, celebrations in the street. I can imagine, I don't know what, what school district, like maybe if you have kids they go to or what community you live in. Here in Ross, homecoming parade was on Friday, standing there, and God have mercy if I didn't almost get beamed in the head by 10-year-olds. I mean, I kid you not, 10-year-olds sitting on the, on the hay bale innocently, right? They're going two miles per hour, chucking whoppers at your head. Anybody? I mean, I'm like, I'm like running for my life. I'm for my life. 10-year-olds and smarties smacking my face. I'm, I'm not going again, all right? That's probably what was happening here. Maybe not the whoppers. Those are disgusting anyway, but maybe Kit Kats, okay? So this was a common thing, all right, celebrations. In fact, during Passover, popular rabbis would walk into town and be praised and honored, all right? So this triumphal entry, as it's called in our Bibles, was not uncommon. In fact, Jesus rides in on this donkey. Did you ever notice something? It doesn't disrupt anything, right? There, the Roman authorities were not... Um, put on edge because Jesus came in. There was no Roman garrison that rushed into the scene to squash a rebellion. The Jewish religious leaders weren't yet there to trap, arrest, and murder Jesus. Not yet, but a couple days from now. All right, why was that? Why didn't it disrupt anything? Because Jesus walking into town, I keep saying it, riding into town that day, for most people, it didn't disrupt anything in their lives. Didn't disrupt anything. But that's exactly what Jesus wanted it to do. Okay, listen, when Jesus rode in on that donkey, he wanted it to disrupt their day. He intended to ruin their weeks. Okay, Jesus intended to upend their lives and everything they ever believed about religion and God and love and truth. He wanted to mess it up and redefine it. You see, the scene of Jesus walking into Jerusalem that day was not unfamiliar. In fact, there were things that people would have seen Jesus doing that reminded them of the stories that their fathers and grandfathers told them. 200 years before Jesus was on the scene, Judas Maccabees, a Jewish revolutionary leader, um, led a rebellion that, that took siege to Jerusalem, kicked out the Greek occupiers, and Judas Maccabees himself went into the temple and purified it after Antiochus IV, the Greek general, when they had conquered Jerusalem just to, I don't know, just to insult the Jewish people, he slaughtered a pig on the altar of God. And so Judas Maccabees and the Jewish revolutionaries take Jerusalem back and they kick the Greeks out. But th and that's what Judas Maccabees did. And so Jesus kind of looks like he's maybe doing something like that. But the Romans would have seen it too. Now the Roman generals, when they would enter a town as a conquering hero, they would be on a war horse. And they would do the same thing that Jesus is mimicking. When Augustus Caesar won the, the Roman civil war and he 
beat Mark Antony and Cleopatra, and, and they were dead, and, and Augustus returned to Rome as, as emperor of Rome. And, and, these, and, and that happened in 18 AD, so about 20 years before Jesus is, is, or 18 BC, about 20 years before Jesus was born. And, and the generals would ride into Rome, okay, and they called them the, the um, triumphators, all right, the triumphant the victorious, and these Roman generals would come through the Porta Triumphalis in Rome, and, and they would have a special toga on. They, they would have this, all of this parade behind them, right? And they would come into Rome through this triumphal arch, and they would parade around the forum, people celebrating their victories. And the first thing that the generals would do, and Augustus did this, was go to the temple of Jupiter and make a sacrifice honoring the pagan uh, chief deity of Rome, thanking him for their victory. <laughs> Jesus deviates from the script a little bit. Jesus comes riding on a donkey, like a small one. Humility, but with great power. Jesus flips the script. And he will do this in your life too. Serving, he comes serving, washing people's feet and touching the sick, but with like this tremendous authority that you can't miss. He's not entering Jerusalem that day with a sword, but pointing to a cross. See, Jesus comes into Jerusalem that day victorious and getting ready to sacrifice but in a way that nobody expected. You see, G the safe approach to Jesus is what most of these guys had. You know what the safe approach to Jesus is? It's what they did for a lot of kings and emperors when they'd enter the city victorious. Take off your cloak, spread it on the ground, cut some palm fronds off, lay it down. Jesus, glad you're here. It's good to know you. Welcome. And that's so safe. Most people asking as they spread their cloak on the ground, I wonder what it is that Jesus can do for me. And isn't that how most of us tend to approach Jesus? Wondering, okay, okay, let's brass tacks. Like, what, what are you going to do for me? And so we come to Jesus, spreading our cloaks out, cutting palm fronds, and offering a hosanna. Hear, hear this. And we say, blessing and happiness come to us, Lord Jesus, from your kingdom. May you, as you come, make my life more comfortable. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, make my life easier. Can you just, can you just, can you just drive out the things that make it hard? Get rid of the hard stuff. Hosanna in the highest. May blessing and, 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 and power come from your kingdom to me, Jesus, do whatever it is I ask you to do for my life. Sound familiar? We live in a mindset in the last hundred years that goes like this. If I feel it, if I feel it, if it's in my head and it's in my heart, then it must be true. And God, if you could just affirm my thoughts, Hosanna in the highest. You know what Jesus' response is? I'm not that kind of savior. 
I refuse to leave you wandering while you ask me to save you in the ways that you think you need saving. In fact, Jesus looks at you and says, I refuse to insult your intelligence because you're smart people by doing the things for you that you want me to do. You know, and I think, I, I, and let me just give you a quick side. I think Gen Z, you know, your teenagers and, 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 and right now our, our, our church family, maybe you're in your 20s, I think you get this, and let me just tell you just a quick, this is not, this is anecdotal, there's no evidence to support this theory, at least not that I know of, but I, I, I want you to know, I, I see you, like, and, and I've been telling people as I've, they've been, you know, we, we've been in this building for two years now, and p- friends of mine say, so how's it going, and, and blah, 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 and, and they say, well, well, who's coming, I'm like, you know what's really surprising to me, is I actually see a lot of teenagers, and like a lot of people in their 20s. And they're like, really? I'm like, I don't know. I, I thought they had, weren't interested. And I, I'm telling you, no, I'm telling you, I, I, see, I see you now. I see you out there. And, I tell you, and they come, and some of them come with their parents, and some of them just come. And you know why? I'm just, I'm just saying, I don't know why, because I've never asked you, but I, I probably should. All right. but, but I think I know. I think I, I, maybe I'm sensing something, only from your sensing, maybe that I'm sensing something, that... You're, you're done buying what the generations before you have tried to sell you. Like, and you're just done with it. That, that if you could, like the generations before and, and probably my generation said, if you could just believe, you know, and if you could just behave religiously, then you and God are going to be fine. And you're like, nope, I don't think that's how it works. And I don't think you're buying. I think you're sick to death of it. I think you've tried it and it's failed for you. I think you're sick to death of culture saying, you know what, if you, whatever you feel is right, whatever you think is right, then that's right for you. And I think you found out really quickly because you're intelligent people that your feelings and your thoughts change and they will betray you. And I think you, you found out that the religion that maybe was your parents or maybe your grandparents, you found out that just acting kind of religious and showing up to a worship service once in a while, that that is, makes you indistinguishable from your peers who don't do that. Do you know what I think you want? I think you want more. I think you know there's more. And you're seeking it. Jesus comes to disrupt your life, to upend it, to mess it up, to ruin your day. Okay? Does your response to him cause a disruption in your life? I mean, does your response to him cause a disruption in your life every day? Or is it just manageably safe? Jesus comes to save. And here's the last point, and then we'll be done. Jesus doesn't want to influence your life. He wants to rule it. And you see this, okay? Jesus enters Jerusalem purposefully eliciting a response from the crowd. He's waiting for you to respond. He's daring you to. He's begging, he's inviting you to respond to who he is. And, 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 and days before, about a week before he dies, he's gonna reveal who he really is. So like Judas Maccabees and Caesar Augustus, only not like them at all, you know, did you notice where the first place Jesus goes in his triumphal entry? It's the temple. He goes to the temple, looks around. He's like, dude, I'm tired. I don't have time for this. Goes home, comes back the next day. 
All right, and he comes back the next day, and in this famous scene, Jesus sees the tables there, and all of the religious leaders selling, um, exchanging foreign currency, because there's millions of Jews from all over the known world. So they're exchanging foreign currency, and they're selling temple sacrifices, and Jesus just looks at this shopping mall that has become the temple, and he starts throwing the tables over and drives all of the people out who were buying and selling, yelling at him and, and, and telling them to get out. Now, Mark tells us this, all right? And I don't want you to miss what happens when Jesus goes in the temple. Don't miss it. It's profound. It's the thing that gets him killed right here. It happens right here. This is what ultimately will get him killed. Riding in the town on a donkey, Jesus might be saying, yeah, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one sent by God, and I'm the one that's going to change things. And people say, okay, okay, okay. By riding on a donkey, okay, Jesus might be claiming to be king. I'm the one set by God to reestablish a Jewish kingdom to drive out the Roman occupiers. And, and, and bring the whole world under God's rule. And that might be true. But listen, when he walked into the temple that day and, 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 and took command and authority over temple worship and temple sacrifices, he was saying one thing. Because there's only one person that has authority over the temple worship and the whole sacrificial system. And do you know who that is? It's God. So who was Jesus saying that he was? exactly right. And that's when they said, we've got to kill this guy. And he will die. But soon Jesus is going to walk to the cross and sacrifice himself as a victorious offering that God has beat sin and death. And he did that for you and me. Now listen, Jesus doesn't give you the option of allowing him to only influence your life. And if that's what you're looking for, Mr. Rogers is a great mentor. All right? Jesus never gives you the option of him just influencing your life. He wants to rule it. Like he deserves to rule your life. A king, our God, stepped on off his throne and he took a punch for you. And no one in history, not Buddha, not Augustus Caesar, not Aristotle, not even Jesus' disciples ever imagined a God who would come off of his throne and sacrifice himself as a sin offering to pay the ransom for your sin debt and mine. But that is exactly what he did because he loves you and he loves you like crazy. Jesus comes to save. So let him rule your life. It's the only response. It's the, it's, it's the only response worth having. And maybe you're ready to have that response today, and we've got the baptism filled, the baptistry here, the, the, the water's warm, and we're gonna, next hour, we're gonna celebrate three people that we know of that are giving their life to Jesus. But if you wanna talk to somebody about responding to Jesus as king, we'll be up here um, after we sing here in a moment, and there'll be some people here to pray with you. Come talk to us. We'd love to talk to you about that. Listen, you are, I don't care how long you've been following Jesus or if you've never made a claim about Jesus in your life, your whole life, but listen, you are never ever done responding to Jesus. So let our hosannas offer to Jesus the praise and the adoration that tells him that you know exactly who he is. He's king, he's king. 
Let him do that work in you. Fall on your knees, okay? Tell him to open your eyes. Let him receive the response from you today and always. The one that he deserves and only he deserves. Because he saved you. Pray with me. Jesus, lift up a praise to you, Father. Forgive us for our enthusiastic jubilation that Father doesn't sink down into our heart and change our lives. Jesus, you're the only one who forgives endlessly and with great grace and mercy. God, I thank you. I thank that you rode into town as Savior and as King. Rule, Father. Rule. We love you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.